0: We find things to fill a void, and stress is free. (laughs) Stress is free and accessible, and it is unbelievably distracting, and it is a pain reliever. All of those things combined make it the ultimate drug for addiction.
1: Is it time to upgrade your snacking game? I know how challenging it can be to find snacks that are both delicious and nourishing. That's why I'm so glad that we found Paleo Valley Beef Sticks. They're made from 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef. They're infused with organic spices and naturally fermented. They totally hit the mark when it comes to nourishment, and they're amazing on-the-go snacks because they're high in protein. They help stabilize your blood sugar. They keep you fueled and going all day long. My kids love them. We keep them in the car. I keep them in their backpacks. You'll see them all over the place because I know that it's something that we can quickly grab to hit the mark when we need nourishment. So if you're looking to get your hands on some Paleo Valley beef sticks, you're going to need to head to paleovalley.com slash the health Institute to get 15% off your first order. Don't miss out. You're going to love these snacks. They are so tasty and they're the highest quality in nutrition. Again, it's paleovalley.com slash the health Institute to get 15% off your first order. Welcome back to the Ancient Health Podcast, where we educate you on real health solutions that will help transform the way you live, feel, and overcome disease naturally. I'm your host, Courtney Versage, along with Dr. Josh Axe and Dr. Chris Motley. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Ancient Health Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I cannot wait. We have Dr. Scott Lyons with us today, and we're talking about all of the dramas and the traumas. And if you think you're not a dramatic person, I actually thought that I was not a dramatic person, but I did go take his quiz online and and the quiz may suggest otherwise. So, I think <laughs> I think that maybe we need to reframe what we are classifying as dramatic, maybe dramatic behavior, dramatic tendencies because there are things in your life that may make you more prone to having addictive behaviors towards chaos or just being busy. And you may be addicted to drama like myself. So I'm going to believe that I'm not the only one that didn't think they were dramatic. So Dr. Scott Lyons, welcome to the show. I cannot wait to get into this conversation with you.
0: Wow. What an introduction. And what was your results? Oh my gosh. Now I want (laughs) to know. Yeah. Okay. Wait. On your drama.
1: I okay, so I was rated the the drama dabbler, so not like super dramatic, not super dramatic, a little a little bit dramatic, and honestly, when I started answering the questions, that was really the revealing moment because I realized when it was like I was hitting you know frequently or always, I'm like that can't be good. So here I am, and now I feel like, okay, I need to fully commit to this process of unpacking it because there are clearly some things going on here that are probably not in the benefit of my health. So I'm assuming that many of our listeners may be able to relate to that. So I'm excited to really unpack what that is. And maybe we'll just start there. Like, What does this work of identifying dramas in your life, like? what is that that interests you or has led you into this space?
0: Oh, well... As a recovering drama addict and coming from a long, long lineage of drama and, and, and like recognizing, ooh, there, are, there were significant times in my life that I did not make my life easier. I was getting stuck and blaming other people and not recognizing my own contribution. I felt like the world at times was against me and I was being you know, impaled by it and not recognizing that I was often putting myself in those situations or creating those scenarios to which I would experience that. And when I finally woke up and recognized that this is what was happening, I was like, I don't think I wanna live my life in chaos and crisis anymore. I'm curious about what ease might be like. I'm curious about living a life in flow and being happier and more joyful, as opposed to being always stuck on the TV channel of like negativity and frustration and anger and gossip. Yeah. So that was a big, like a big, like that realization really led me into this research because I started looking online for like, hey, I think I might be a drama dabbler <laughs> or I might have a little propensity, a little like desire, craving for chaos or, I mean, I didn't, I didn't use those words so much at the time. I was like, why am I making my life suck? I would Google, it would come up as like, you might be a drama queen. And, it, and the articles were really shameful and mis, misdirecting and not actually true to my own experience. And there were no books on it. There was no research. And I was like, there is a major gap. And strangely enough, there's not one person I've ever talked to who doesn't know someone addicted to drama. So this huge question of like, how is it that we all know someone addicted to drama who just makes life more complicated than they need to, whose actions and behaviors are more intense and extreme and seemingly performative, someone who pulls other people into their crisis. Like we all know someone but why is there such a gap in the understanding and the deconstruction of what's going on and, and a path to healing and a path to healing for those who are around those people? It's exhausting. I've yeah. been on the other side of the fence too. I've worked with a lot of patients who are like this. I grew up in a family like this. It is, it is. I mean, we'll we can talk about it later, but it is their trauma, their stress, is contagious into your physiology. Like you are actually being affected by them on a physiological level. And you may not have the tools or the know-how to process that because you don't even recognize it. Like you might not recognize so much that you have secondhand smoke issues until you're coughing and you're like, where is that coming from? And so the same thing for those of us who've been in proximity to people with an addiction to drama we're sick, literally diseased, and we go. Wait, why are we sick? I take care of myself. I eat healthy. I exercise. But what else might be contributing to that diseased, that anxiety, that sense of urgency that's now part of my life?
1: Oh my gosh, I'm like freaking out because there's so many things that this this is like bringing up to the surface. Yeah. Because what this makes me think of. Is that there's two things, right? There's this identity, like there's there is um, maybe a lack of understanding of what our own needs are and like the coping mechanisms that we have because that's something that I've recently, only recently, and I'm now 37 years old and I'm like just now starting to figure this out. But there are behaviors, there are things that I go to subconsciously as a coping mechanism and a lot of times it's because there isn't this deep rooted understanding of who it is that I am or the value that I bring. But then there's also an element. So like that's one side, the other side is how I'm behaving, acting and responding to things because of the other people that surround me. So like meaning I'm reacting to a response or to the perception of the reality that I think somebody else has. Yeah. So it's like bridging the gap because there's probably a lot there to unpack. So I want to just maybe maybe even start with like before we get to the relationship side because sure. you you brought up something really important which is the influence of the other of other people. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's maybe it's even like children in your house cuz you start to see them, right? Like they start mimicking and mirroring a lot of the dynamics of your relationship, but all of a sudden like that brings an energy now and you're like, "Whoa, what 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 are we dealing with here?" But so you've got those interpersonal relationships, but the real important one is yourself. And if you can't identify and understand your own, like you said, these propensities, these like natural proclivities of behavior, you really can't mess with the toggles of the variabilities of other people until you really get a handle on yourself. So maybe like, can we talk about understanding on on just an individual level, like where we're at with coping mechanisms? maybe even um, co-regulation, like some of these things that, that start early on?
0: Yeah, mm, such juicy questions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we just went all in. Like, we just so- Let's do this. <laughs> I, I love um, it. <laughs>
0: we, we like the extremes. Um, yeah. Just we,
1: we aren't dramatic at all. We aren't <laughs>
0: dramatic at all. <laughs> I mean, by the way, your nail color is super amazing and dramatic. It's, yes, you know thank what? you for wearing yeah. that for the show.
1: Right. I got them done the other day. And the the nail lady even said, she goes, I've never seen you put neutral colors on your nails ever. And I was like, huh, (laughs) you're right. I never realized that. So maybe I, maybe again, just another, another little piece to the puzzle that I should be paying attention to.
0: Should we add that to the quiz? Do you put non-neutral colors on your uh, colors on your nails?
1: That, you know what? (laughs) There's a lot of, we could probably get a lot of scientific data from that and we publish an article on it in the
0: future. I think we could. Yeah, I think we definitely could. I mean, there's so many other ways also that we might recognize it. And one of the very easy ways I say, do you have some propensity for drama, drama tools, which are just adaptive behaviors for survival, really? That's, That's what this whole addiction and drama is. And we'll get into it is really it's a survival mechanism. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, wait, what? How could creating suffering for oneself and the world around you be a survival mechanism? Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get That's into it. Go. Let's go. But here's a really easy way to go. Hmm. Is this part of my life? Have you ever thought about an ex while you're having a good day? Why did you go there? And then why did you continue to go there? Have you ever taken a bath or a meditation class or a yoga class and you're starting to relax and settle and all of a sudden you're thinking about that fight you had with someone the other day or you're actually creating a story in your head about something that hasn't happened yet and you're responding to it as though it is or you simply start thinking about your grocery list and and all the things you have to do and anything that is essentially avoiding Settling stillness in the present moment. Well, my friends, if that is your reflexive reaction to a lot of your life, then you might be somewhere on the scale of an addiction to drama. Because that's you know, that's how it shows up minimally, is like the ways in which you don't feel... well, it's truly, really, you don't feel safe, but it feel, it's like a reflex action. The moment you start to find some settling or stillness or ease or comfort in yourself or the environment, something gets shaken up, stirred up, something in you gets revved up, and that's a stress response. And it's important to start to recognize, hmm, yeah, this this has maybe happened to me once or twice, or this is a familiar experience of like, I'm in the comfort of a relationship with someone else, and suddenly I just don't know why, but I get into a fight. As opposed to saying why, start with, oh, it's here. How is it showing up in me? Getting into the why is is complex and we'll deconstruct and break that down. But just even the awareness is such a powerful tool towards having a life of more ease, which I think we all want. (laughs) I mean, even those who are addicted to drama, You'll never hear someone go, I love the drama. I mean, they might say, I love watching the drama on TV or watching other people's drama, but never being part of it, never being pulled into it. And so everyone will say, I want peace, but they might not recognize their own physiological process to which they avoid it because it's subconscious. That reflex, what I call the revving reflex, the things that stir you up, when you have the possibility or the potential to actually go into relaxation or stillness.
1: So these are the ways that you know, if yeah. you have like, are these the characteristics then of somebody that you would say, Hey, this might be something that you need to look under the hood a little bit more, because I, I can't imagine that there's like not one person that can identify with this. Like, because those, I honestly like have a like mild panic attack. Like even when I do yoga, it's like, everybody's enjoying Shavasana. And I'm like, okay, um, I'm going to run to my car and then I got to hit the gas station, go to the grocery store. I got to remember the three things. And I'm like, everybody else seems so relaxed. (laughs) And I am like, you know, every fiber in my being is tense. I'm like, what are you doing woman? So, I mean, what do we do about this? Because I mean, I think maybe the bringing awareness, it seems like it's step one is like, ask yourself the questions. Like, are you doing like, is this something that is relevant to you? And then what do you do?
0: Yeah. Well, this is the most accessible way in for most people is that question. I mean, there's other things like from the outside perspective, it's like you can recognize someone's addiction drama by the way they make mountains out of molehills. The intensification, the exaggeration, the, the language they use, literally, always, never. It's very generalized language. There's not a lot of nuance and subtleties in their responses or their language. You might find yourself going, whoa, what just happened? How did I get from here to here with you? And why am I suddenly involved? And they really focus on the past. They focus on the future, but they don't focus on the present. There's very few reflexive language. So instead of saying, I'm feeling disappointed and sad, it's like, they did this, and then they did that, and then they did this, how could they? So it goes into what's called dramatic narrative more. You'll find a lot of comparing and obsessing on social media, an inability to be validated, to be truly like receive tenderness, to receive love. They desire it, but that doesn't mean they can actually absorb it or receive it. And they will often complain that they don't get it, even though it's more about them being unable to receive it. They vent continuously. They retell the same emotional stories over and over again. Um, they pull people into their drama. And I can talk about the science of that. It's very interesting. Big, fast loves, big, fast breakups, lots of fighting jealousy in the relationships. That's from the outside. From the inside, it feels like a constant dis-ease and anxiety, like something is co- like stalking you almost like the world is against you, then you're just waiting in anticipation of the next bad thing to happen. And what is sad is that because of most likely early developmental traumas or uh, issues or chaotic environments in your early experiences, your senses, your sensory organs, your Eyes, your smell, your hearing, your even your touch and your sense of time have all shifted to filter only negative experiences as a way of maintaining safety. So that's all you receive of the of what's happening in the environment primarily. And then you're reacting to the negativity of the world, even though it's not just negative, because they lose the nuance of seeing or being feeling safe enough to marinate in the good of what's happening around them. Because if they did, they might relax and be too vulnerable to the next possible threat of the world around them. So in that way, it's like I asked that simple question of like, hey, do you ever feel like you can't relax and settle? Because that's an easy way in. Then we might say, here's what it looks like from the outside. And here's what it actually feels like on the inside. And there's a constant sense of urgency on the inside. Like you can never catch up to yourself or the world. You have to keep pushing. It's like um, if you've ever just been a tourist in New York City, you kind of might know what that feels like. It's like, you know, everyone's rushing and you're in a hamster wheel and, and time doesn't feel easeful. The cur- like the currents of time feel rushed. And that's what it feels constantly on the inside. There's it, it, it is very painful, and it, it doesn't feel exaggerated from the inside. You know, it's, it doesn't feel performative. You, you asked me about co-regulation earlier. So for those who are not so familiar with the term, co-regulation is, in our early developmental experience, a caregiver a parent provides a steady, safe presence, and that means they're regulated in themselves they're available, they're expressive, and they're grounded and anchored. And what that does for the baby whose nervous system isn't, they don't, we're, we don't born into the world with the ability to self-regulate our emotions. Not at all. It's a whole developmental process. So co-regulation is the parent or the caregiver coming in to teach us how to regulate ourselves. And so my nervous system as a parent or a caregiver, or my steadiness, my presence, my ease, my ability to be here for you, gives you, the baby or the child, the support to process and metabolize your emotions, to feel safe, to feel sturdy, to feel um, contained. And all of those things, if it's available, lead to self-regulation. The challenge is, that about 50% of us didn't get that. And we call that attachment disorders or we can call it a lot of different things. But what that means is that we didn't get, it wasn't modeled for us. We, didn't, we don't know it in our physiology how to self-regulate. And what that looks like as an adult is, I mean, even on a simple level, like I have this pen right here in front of me. If I lift the pen, with as though it was a boulder like it, it's disproportionate use of energy emotion and attention and that's what dysregulation is is that i don't have the ability to measure properly and to actualize the best use of my energy my attention and my emotions to to get my needs met to function and be resilient in the world So it, my actions, my emotions all feel performative because they are not regulated. They're not used in an efficient way. So on the outside, you're like, why are you lifting that pen with the weight, like the effort of a boulder? And to me on the inside, I'm like, because it makes sense. That is how I experience the world of this pen. Or why do I go into work and overschedule myself? And why do I create circumstances and respond to them in such a way that feels way exaggerated and off from the outside? But from the inside, it feels right. Hmm. And I am chronically tired. I am chronically emotionally dysregulated because I don't have the ability to regulate myself in an efficient way. I don't have an ability to use my energy, my time, my um, emotions, my attention to best serve me.
1: What it sounds like, what I'm I'm kind of receiving from this is a lot of this starts early on. And so there's not anything you can do, right? You said 50%, like that's, that's a lot (laughs) higher. I mean, that's, that's a lot. I mean, that's, That's as half of us, you know, half of us didn't quite learn how to regulate because we yeah. didn't have that modeled for us. And that's not something we were able to control. Then you add in the genetic factor. And we know that traumas can be passed down generally, generationally, you know, and then also genes can be expressed, turned on, you know, as it relates to circumstances, as you navigate life, going through different seasons of life. So you've got multiple factors there, all of these things that are in motion that you're probably unaware of or things that you can't necessarily change, right? You cannot change what you inherited when you were born in and the environment that you were born into. And then we start navigating relationships with one another. So where does this, you know, bringing us up to that point now, you know, talking about codependency and Mm -hmm. the interpersonal relationships of meeting needs, right? We're, we're almost like hooking ourselves up to other people. And then now there can be this dysregulation of energy, right? Because maybe Mm -hmm. you've got one person that just feels like, hey, I never quite ever felt valued. And this is the only way that I know how that now drains somebody else. And that person's like, I don't even, you know, they're not even aware that this stuff is happening until now that they have, you know, the byproduct of, of other. Okay. So bring us up to speed on the interpersonal side, because I think that, again, like we're at a place right now, guys, where we're kind of identifying a lot of the patterns. And hopefully this is helping you ask some questions and make sense of some of the things that you're doing, because we do a lot of things repetitively that oftentimes are not for our benefit. Like there are a lot of things that I do on a regular basis that I feel like, hey, this is just a part of my routine. When in reality, it's something that probably stresses my nervous system, not something that is, going to bode well for me long-term, but it's what's familiar. And we do things out of just subconscious pattern. I mean, it's, it's just this behavioral training. And I'm like, to me, that's safe. It's yeah. not necessarily healthy for my physiology, but it's what I know and it's what I'm familiar with.
0: Yeah. Oof. Yes. I mean, we, we repeat what is familiar out of comfort, even if it is not for the, our, the benefit of our health. And- you know, if, if we grew up in a house of chaos, which I think a lot of us did, doors slamming, fights, um, unpredictable behavior by parents or neighbors or community, even, we learn to expect the unexpected. We're, we learn to be on our toes. We learn to interact with people from that. And if the currency of love, meaning like our love language, uh, as, as kids, was learned through being loud enough to be heard, being big enough to be responded to, or even being in my house, Like if I was sick, I got the most attention. So I learned that being off was the way to be seen, to be loved, to be recognized. That was what, that, that was what I paired in my mind as like, okay, this is the currency of love. You be provocative, you get attention you are kind of, something is wrong, you get attention. And, and it, we, we, we have sometimes shamed the idea of attention. So I want to unshame that word because attention or being witnessed, being seen, being recognized is one of the primary needs of humans because it is so linked to safety. And so we can say oh they're just attention seeking they are safety seeking <laughs> you know we have to empath we have to create more empathy about what's really going on underneath the hood these are people who you know when we have as you said generations of trauma genetics by the way i got my genetics my genetic test back the other day and i was meeting with the geneticist and he goes he was reading over the emotions section and he goes do you like emotional roller coasters? And I was like, Well, no. not anymore. <laughs> and he goes, Oh, your genetics tell me the story that you might really like the emotional roller coaster. He had no idea that I was putting a book out this week called Addicted to Drama.
1: No way.
0: So, fu- I mean, I, I had a good laugh about it with my friends. Yeah. yeah. It was, I was like, Wow, okay. <laughs> It's so important to recognize that these early experiences, whether it's a history of trauma, whether it's an environment of chaos, have a significant effect on an individual. And to protect themselves from the pain of those experiences, we all want to protect ourselves from pain, right? So the question is really, what have you done to protect yourself from being in the pain? And for many of us, many many of us we have a numbing response. we create a protective wall around the pain that might look like disassociation it might be avoidance it might be just litter and physiologically it's like a part of us is walled off now and that creates a pervasive loneliness. we're cut off from ourselves. Mm. we're cut off from other people so as This is the lead into why interpersonal relationships are so hard. There is literally a wall of protection from ourselves and from other people. It is extremely lonely. And often, I mean, any addiction is about filling the void. When you have been cut off from yourself, there is an extreme sense of void. As a kid, I felt like I was a walking ghost. I was so dissociated. I was outside of myself. There was no one home for most of the time because that felt too dangerous. Not from only my environment, but from having to make contact with a lot of the trauma I experienced. We find things to fill a void and stress is free. (laughs) Stress is free and accessible and it is unbelievably distracting and it is a pain reliever. All of those things combined make it the ultimate drug for addiction. How that then leads into relationships is you have this wall, right, that we talked about. And I like to think about, I, I often use the word drawbridge. Yeah, so like to be in relationship, it's not that you just do something for me. It's, that's not relationship and I just don't do something for you. We're not just two individuals standing here. To be in relationship means that both of our drawbridges come down, which is called vulnerability. And then there's a sense of mutuality. We connect through those drawbridges and that's intimacy. Yeah. Like if you ever, if you want an experiment, it'd be like, okay, let's just breathe together. Mm. Yeah, we're sharing the same space right now and we're sharing the same air. That's intimate. Now wall yourself off. And even though we're sharing the same air, don't allow yourself to feel that or receive the mutuality of it. Wow. That's what it feels like all the time for a lot of us, but especially for those who are addicted to drama. Now to lower that drawbridge means you have to ne- you- suddenly you're going to be vulnerable, and you're going to be too vulnerable. I mean, we have to soften to be vulnerable, right? which means that we will be susceptible to the next threat. We won't be prepared for the next threat. And that softening and that intimacy will bring me closer to me as well as it bringing me closer to you. That's dangerous. Because if the thing I'm trying to avoid making contact with is so painful, then I, I absolutely want to avoid that contact with myself. So I might find all of these different ways. I want relationship. I don't want to be lonely. I want connection. I loved when we just shared that breath, but ooh, that was scary. So I might sell. I might sabotage the relationship without knowing it. I might go find, start picking on all the things you do wrong. I might only seek you out in relationship because you represent all the red flags that I know will never allow me to feel intimate. I so that's chasing red flags, which we all probably know. Uh, I will do get into fights with you. I will create jealousy. I will make stories up. And all of these are drama tools. These are tools to avoid intimacy. And what that sadly does is it doesn't allow me to be seen, heard, witnessed, to bring me back to actually true safety. So what do I do? I want connection, but I can't actually be with intimacy. So I create these tornadoes. I create these vortexes of crisis. And if you're in sync, if I can get you in sync, if I can get you in the same type of crisis mode I'm in, the same type of heightened stress, ooh, we're connected. So that's why they pull people into their vortex of stress, of crisis, of chaos is to feel a sense of belonging.
1: That's really profound and also very relatable on so many levels. Actually makes me think I've more recently gotten into a lot of counseling like in the last year and a half, which I recommend for everybody. I think I think a lot of people, you know, we wait until things are really on fire in our lives to start being like, "Okay, maybe we need some help." Here's the thing. If I could go back and get myself into some regular counseling, you know, things probably wouldn't have been a dumpster fire for a while. You know, it just, it would have, I could have spared myself, but I remembered something that, that he said, and this was a while ago. And, and it was exactly like what you're, what you're describing, where there were so many walls that had been put up, all of these things that in my mind, they were boundaries. And I actually thought they were healthy boundaries. I thought, I'm not going to allow this pain into my life. I'm not going to allow these people. I'm not going to allow. And so I'm thinking all along that I'm actually creating a safe environment. But what you said earlier about the receiving of love, these walls go both ways. So what you, what you intend to block out of your life will also block you receiving. And you will stay hollow. Like you will be a hollow shell. And guess what? That doesn't feel any better. So putting up all the boundaries in your life just to hold everything at arm's length is now going to cripple you from ever receiving the thing that you really desire the most. And I learned that. And I remember him even saying, Courtney, what's the risk? Like you will have to take some risk in your life. The risk is that you get hurt again. But what are you experiencing right now? You're not feeling great right now. you're, You're living in pain as it is. So you either stay where you are or you finally, like you said, with that drawbridge, just like great visual is just saying you've got, to, you've got to find some softness in you. You've got to let go of some things and you have to allow yourself to receive love from people that maybe, maybe they have siphoned you. Maybe they have burnt, maybe there's been some past experiences, but if you ever want to see restoration to that, if you ever want to start to receive love and rebuild something, you have to take a little bit of a risk and you're going to have to allow some of those walls to come down. So anyway, all, everything Oof. that you've just said has been like,
0: Oof, I love card.
1: yeah, connecting on, on such a like personal level. So I'm hoping that that's connecting with you guys, if you're listening, um, because I know that there's so many of us that, that are doing that and we're living, like we have like a, a white knuckle grip on our lives yeah. and it, like uh, that, that picture of stress being, the the safety I think that those are the words I was like oh my gosh that's it it's literally like staying in a super stressed out state where you feel like everything is in a hurry you're frantically running from one thing to the next but that's like that's just where I feel like I have control and where I can stay safe
0: exactly that when we are locked out of ourselves we're not here to feel agency or power we feel out of control so what are the things that gives us power that first stage of a stress response is called activation. It is literally power. It is literally ATP. Boom, I mean, through your body. It is literally cortisol. It is all of these neuropeptides and hormones and molecules that are designed to give you the power to action. Yeah. So you actually feel some semblance of energy and power. And if you're depressed, if you have like, just feel the malaise of life, if you feel literally walled off from the world and yourself, then why wouldn't you go to something that momentarily makes you feel better and a more alive and energized and distracted yeah. from that pain? And I love what you said. Oof, I love what you said about boundaries. You made it so clear because boundaries are not walls. Boundaries are, I'm going to say this again. Boundaries are not walls. Boundaries are such a sexy subject right now in the psych world. And they're so often mistaught. It's about saying yes to you and no to you. Those are absolutes. That is drama. There is no nuance. There is no flexibility. And and I know sometimes we have to have an absolute no, but we have to have be, it has to be on a scale. How much yes? How much no? Boundaries are a living organism of our body that are about flexibility. This, if the system is not flexible, it is not a functional boundary. It is not a healthy boundary. It is a wall, and a wall excludes you from yourself and the world and a wall mimics an inflammatory response in the body and you are literally creating a toxic environment to which you live in
1: oh man talk about that because i think this is this is huge we're going to we we are going to bridge the physiology and this <laughs> uh, the emotional mental you know spiritual health here because that there is there are a lot of people that are staying bound to their condition their disease whatever it is that they're up against whatever the symptom is maybe it's maybe it's just like chronic headaches or it's insomnia whatever like you fill in the blank we all have them yeah. but a lot of times the one thing that is literally the shackles to that symptom is the fact that we are emotionally not in a stable, healthy place. And so we stay in a place, this inflammatory state, right? We know that stress drives inflammation in the body. It's like the root of all disease, right? Is all this inflammatory response. And we mess with everything else. We're like, if we can just drink more bone broth and if we can just get enough sleep, and I'm going to, I'm going to biohack my way all over the place. And listen, I'm so guilty of doing this because I'm like, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. I'll try this. I'll try that. You know, I want to find all the ways to optimize everything. But if you do not address the emotional aspect of your health, I'm telling you, you will only get so far and then you will be so frustrated. And then that is just going to just, it is like gasoline to the fire of what already exists. So maybe, okay, connect for us here, the physiology piece, because we got to make sure that this is, this is so, so valuable for you guys to break free from what it is that maybe has just been lingering forever. If you are so sick and tired of being sick or tired or something else, fill in the blank. Like this is this will hopefully set you free or or shift your perspective so that you can see that there's hope for change in your life.
0: Yeah. So I hope everyone's ready to get a little geeky with me in terms of the physiology. And I will we love it. it. We love it. I will make it as accessible as I, I possibly can. So let's start with pain. Yeah, I fall down, I hurt my arm. Yeah, I have a natural response that's an inflammatory response. It's like, "Oh, I'm going to sh- close off this area to protect it and then create a little extra fluid to, you know, to buffer it so forth." Great idea. Evolutionary brilliant. Yeah, we we have this protective mechanism. And the challenge is, is when we don't release the protective mechanism this should sound like all emotional psychology books you've ever read, too, right now. When we do not release the protection mechanism, things start to go wrong. When we have that inflammation, our cells are still processing things. So they have byproduct. Yeah. The CO2, the the, the cellular meta- the things that they're metabolizing, the byproducts, the the cell poop, basically. Sure. <laughs> that's, the, that's the scientific word.
1: Um, (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. We won't forget that one.
0: (laughs) We won't forget cell poop. Anyways, the metabolic waste gets brought into the ecosystem, right? And it gets stuck there. It has nowhere to go. And one of the ways we identify that the nervous system and brain registers pain is through a system that is toxic like that. So all that inflammatory response is one thing, but when that Fluid area becomes filled with metabolic waste, we interpret that as pain. Now, psychological, emotional, and physical pain are not differentiated. When we have a trauma, when we have a heartbreak, we have the same protective mechanisms. The trauma is stored in the body. I'm going to say that again the trauma is stored in the body and protected in the exact same way as a physical injury. You might call that emotional cyst, energy cyst, emotional cyst. And it, like, and I can go into more of the details. Like, if you've ever just been carrying around tension in your shoulders, <laughs> guess what? That's that emotional cyst. Mm. It's not the tension that is the issue, it's the tension that's protecting the underlying thing. And it's registered as tension and pain, but it's because that whole area has basically become a protective toxic area that needs to be addressed or the pain is a signal that will keep getting louder to say hey pay attention to me in the same way anxiety does the exact same thing anxiety is the phone call that says hey pay attention there is something happening in your body that needs to be attended to So. That's the first piece of it. Should we keep going into a little more of the science?
1: I mean, I love it. I think that, you know, if the, I feel like this can ultimately help us understand because yeah. so many of us waste time. And we're like and we're aware, right? Like we're because every day we're living with this and every day the clock's ticking and we're spending more resources, more time all of this stuff trying to figure out like what is going to give me a solution. And that's really like that's what we're looking for. And then we get to a point where maybe, you know, now whatever it is, has just, it's a massive disruption to our life. And now we can't even do the things that we're supposed to be doing. So we get behind and then we start to see our plate fill up more and more and more, which drives more anxiety because we're like, great. This one problem is now, it's now bleeding into so many different areas of my life that, the things that i didn't have time for before i really don't have time for now so i am now just a, like walking disaster with every person i come in contact with because i'm freaking out on a daily basis <laughs> i mean you see i mean listen yeah. I <laughs> this is i told you i told you this was.
0: you know the drama you, you know the drama dabbling
1: <laughs> uh, here i am just dabbling in my drama
0: <laughs> well i mean so we have this pain right whether it's physical pain or emotional pain because it's the signal that says, hey, there is an issue. And what do we do to avoid the pain? Alcohol is great. Drugs are great. Stress is great. I mean, they're not great for you in the long run, but they're great as avoidant techniques. Disassociating, great technique. These are all things that help us stay away from the pain and try to keep pushing through life when we think about stress, and, and this is like, there's a, an interesting thing about stress and disease is people often go, Oh, I'm stressed out. Therefore, the, there's an automatic correlation to disease. Like that's where disease comes from. That's not actually true, which is really important to understand. Because it's not the it's like, we have stressors, that's life. Yeah. When you my, this, like, my phone didn't work this morning. I don't care. <laughs> I'm like, great. I'm on vacation. Then. But for another person, that same stimulus might take them over the edge. It's not about the stressor. It's about the capacity to mo- mo- uh, metabolize that mm. response and our response to the stressor, essentially. There are four stages of a stress response. Activation is the first one. And I talked about that. It's where energy arises in our whole system to address whatever the stimulus is. Oh, there's a ball coming at me. I literally have more energy released to move aside and not get hit by the ball. That's a stress response. The second stage is called mobilization. I am taking that energy into action and I adapt in the world. Awesome. The third stage is called deactivation. My muscles get more relaxed, which means my nerves release, which means I start to feel more of my body again, and I feel more of the emotions. and I process whatever it is that I didn't get an opportunity to process on the emotional side, in relation to the stressor. And if and, that's called rest and digest. That's that parasympathetic we all love to talk about. It's bringing me into, the, literally the metabolism, The digestion, so I can stop producing all that cortisol. That's the time where I get to register. Oh, I'm done. And then we go into restoration, which is such an important phase of our stress response system and so often not happening, which is the point where we actually get to restore the vital energy needed to respond, to keep doing this cycle. We have to be able, remember how I talked about at the beginning, that avoidance of relaxation? Yeah. That relaxation is the restoration of our energy to be in a stress response, to be resilient and function in the world. So if we are never able to go into relaxation, we never get to fully restore. When this cycle, this is called the stress response cycle, is interrupted, this is where disease comes from. It is not the stressor. It is not the stressor. I want to say that again. It is the, when we do not have time, space, permission, support to process and metabolize and complete our natural biological system or cycle of dealing with the world, is when disease forms, is when things get stuck. In our body, when that inflammation increases, when that metabolic waste becomes uh, a toxic <laughs> to assist, it becomes toxic in our body. Yeah, and that shows up as disease, and we become dysregulated. We are no longer able to measure how much energy, emotion, attention is needed to really adapt in the world. That is where disease comes from.
1: Mm. So where do we go from here? Like if you are, you know, you're seeing somebody or, you know, you've got a patient and it's like, there are just clear, you just see all the different places where everything we talked about, you know, is really this culmination of an expression of stress in their body. And they're trapped in that cycle. It's just repeating itself over and over. How, I mean, how do you even go about, just step-by-step step, kind of getting somebody out of that pattern so that they're not just maybe taking one step forward and then two steps back and then, and, you know, just feeling like they're in a tug of war, like, okay, great. Now I know what I'm dealing with, but <laughs> I feel like I just can't break free from it. Like, what are the strategies or what are, what do we do about this? I'm asking yeah. for a friend. <laughs>
0: I'm asking for a friend too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And when you say patience, uh, I, yeah, it's actually me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, there's there's no one way, and I'll say that. And the reason I describe the physiology is because we have to come back to being aware because of our body, because it's happening in our body. Yeah. And so, like, if I'm like all those examples from before, where I'm in the bathtub and I'm just revving myself up, or I start gossiping and I'm throwing logs on a fire as opposed to actually processing anything with friends. Like, we're just making it more intensified, more stressful in our system. All of those things are important to recognize. Okay. Just even the question, is this what I want in my life? I mean, just the the bare bones question of like, ooh, am I getting my fundamental needs met? If my fundamental needs are safety, being seen, being witnessed, being recognized, you know, feeling again, safe, is thinking about my ex while I'm in the bathtub getting me there. Is putting on, I'm a little sad, so is putting on Adele really going to get me there to my needs and my uh, primary feelings that need to be recognized right now? Is doom scrolling on social media really going to get me what I need? And so part of what I'm saying this is because we have to start interrupting the, the, the revving we have to start interrupting and challenging this reflex to get these hits of stress when we don't need them, to, to load more onto our system. And you know it's challenging because in an addiction, we need more to feel more. We're stuck in that. So we will keep getting, we build a tolerance level and then we need more stress To to come out of that threshold of numbness and feel alive in the world or feel empowered, as we talked about before, feel just anything. So, going back, what do we do? (laughs) Awareness is first. Coming back to what is happening in your body, recognizing it and going, okay, I'm going to, like, I used to do this practice with myself and I would do it in public and people thought it was weird. And I'm cool with that which is I would just raise my hand whenever I'd catch myself revving. Like, mm. oh, I, I, like, I'd get lost in a thought about thinking about someone who hurt me. And I'm like, I'm literally in line at the grocery store. Is, is that functional for this moment? No. And I would just raise my hand and go, I'm catching myself. I, it was self-accountability. And we can do that for friends too. It's like, hey, I think you might be crisis hopping. I'm going to raise my hand. So like with, Patients sometimes we have, I have this um, contract with them that says if either of us raise our hand, we need to pause because it means we are rolling down the hill of drama. (laughs) We are revving. Someone there's a revving that's happening. There's a crisis hopping, and there's not looking and checking what's actually underneath the hood in this moment. So I might have them. One of my favorite tools is like. I'll have them repeat a sentence of something they're sharing and put space between each word. I never asked them to slow down and just said, Mm. can we put a breath between each word? So they start to feel space as opposed to that chronic urgency. Then when there's space, we can start to just tip our way in, tiptoe our way in to like, what's actually the feelings and the needs that are underneath that are being So ignored right now, or so distracted from. And so coming back to your real core feelings and needs. And then as you make more space, as you start to interrupt the pattern of revving yourself up chronically, you get the it's like it builds a little pathway towards that underlying pain and trauma that never got to be processed and metabolized. And when we can take that layer of pain away from our system that then th- we literally have more energy and we're not craving that energy from stress and as we build a system build more sense of that our body is a place where we can be home in that we can be safe in we're no longer dependent on other things to fill the void of where we should be and we get to come home to ourselves as opposed to filling ourselves with things like crisis and chaos
1: Gosh, this is, I love this so much. And you know, it's so funny. I've been thinking in this interview, like not the whole time, but just like it occurred to me at one point, I even thought when you when you just mentioned like adding space between words, I, I thought to myself, I said, he has a really like great cadence to what he talks. Like it's not rushed. And like just the delivery of your message because i you can tell like i'm an explo- i'm just like there's so much here and it's like my body is this vessel that's just like holding all this energy and it just kind of explodes randomly in different places <laughs> so i noticed that though about other people and i think there's space for that they they that's a practice because that is not something a lot of times that we we just happen upon like that's just not something that is natural for a lot of people for them to really slow things down a little bit and I learned this from um, um Dr Nicola Perricks I love her too I know you know her she said you know learning to take these pauses and and this is in reference to like what you're talking about about breaking that revving up so if 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 you feel like okay yeah I do that like the second I have a moment, to myself and something pops up, I call my mom or call my sister because I need to, I need somebody to just, you know, walk me through it. Yeah. I just, and, or, you know, I, I'm, I got to listen to certain music or certain playlists or something like that. And I remember she, she mentioned this, I think in, in her book, but it, she was like, just go on a walk, do something and just be present for even a moment and like, take in what you were actually seeing. So I started doing this because a lot of times I'll like, you know, take quick breaks throughout the day when I'm working and I'll walk the dogs. And while I'm doing that, I'm like, okay, well, I can listen to something that I need to listen to. So if there's, you know, some type of recording or something that I'm like, okay, well then I can actually be doing something while I'm walking and just moving my body. But recently in recent months, I'm like, I'm going to walk and not like have like no plan to do anything. It was really hard. I'm not going to lie. I was walking so fast the first like couple of times because in my mind, guys, this is how crazy, this is how like, you know, this. there's a lot of things here. And this isn't about me, but I'm just hoping that somebody maybe feels like they're not crazy either because this is what I have been, it's, it is a real effort on my part. But I started realizing that I would just try to get the walk done as fast as possible. So I'm—I was like a mall walker on steroids with the dog outside. I was like, people saw me. My husband came with me one time, and he was like, "Do you normally walk this fast?" And I thought, I no, I don't know why, but it was like I was in a hurry to get back so that I could actually get something else done. And then I thought, okay, interrupt that process. Now I'm going to stop. And there's like this little pond and these herons all stand by the edge of the pond and they just kind of fish. Like they're just staring down at the water. I thought, I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to watch them. Like, I'm just going to watch them. And I got so frustrated for a moment because I thought, how long do they just stare at the water before they move? They were just like completely frozen. <laughs> and I thought, I ain't got no time for this. Like, I want to see some action. Y'all better catch a fish. Anyway, I'm on a total tangent. I love but it. I, I feel like this is so important. Is that if you, the way that you break the cycle is to one, understand what the patterns are in your life, but then start finding ways to catch immediately and then redirect it. And sometimes it could be a gratitude practice. Like that has been super helpful for me is just get the focus off yourself. Like say a prayer or put on like some worship music or something and just, you know, smile, like just try smiling for 10 seconds and see how much more like you actually feel feel like your hormones will shift. Your physiology will take cues from your mind, but you've got to be able to redirect it a little bit. And I think that that's such an important step for so many of us that if you feel, you know, if in any way that like you identify with some of these patterns, Hey, we all do number one. So, I mean, join the club, but number (laughs) two, like, Find those ways to kind of redirect some of that because the more you can do it, the more that can be the new place of comfort. Yeah. Redirecting those neural pathways, like create new paths for yourself.
0: I I like empathy for that. I have so much empathy. It's like, yeah, you were creating more pain for yourself. We all have created more pain for ourselves, And there are ways of breaking that cycle. Mm. Ways of getting out of the production of our own, stuckness and suffering.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So good. Okay, guys, we're bringing this one home. I, anyway, I'm, I'm so i this, it's a Friday. Dr. Motley's not on this episode, but he would have loved it. (laughs) We were talking about that earlier. So this has just been fun, but I let's give the rundown for everybody to find your book addicted to drama. It's awesome guys. I love. Dr. Scott's work, um, please tell us social, all the places that people can follow you and just be encouraged by your message and the vision that you have in sharing, you know, all of your knowledge in this
0: space. Thank you. Yeah. um, My website is Dr. Scott Lyons, D-R-S-C-O-T-T-L-Y-O-N-S. You can find the quiz, um, which is Nice entry point into the book. Uh, There's links to where you can get the book, whether it's independent bookstores or Amazon or wherever you feel best to buy your book from on the website as well. There's um, resources. There's links to my fun new podcast called The Gently Used Human, (laughs) which is a a wild one. Uh, And uh, I'm on social media in terms of Instagram, Dr. Scott Lyons as well. And I hear I'm on TikTok.
1: Oh, okay. See, I'm not on TikTok, but I know a lot of I'm, people are. Okay. So I are know she... a
0: lot of people are. I, uh, yeah. I, uh, someone uploaded a video on, yeah. So now I'm on TikTok. Oh, yeah. I, I've okay. never, I feel like I'm too old for it. I like, well, don't you know look
1: very things. young. So I can't imagine you're too old for it.
0: <laughs> Thank <laughs> yeah. you. It's that was the other thing the geneticist said. He's like, emotional roller coaster, good skin.
1: Yeah. Hey, for listen, 60 listen, you know, years what? old,
0: I feel pretty good
1: just add that no. into your content. Like we all need to know your anti-aging regimen uh, <laughs> because the, these are equally important things that we're all trying to find solutions for.
0: I, I, I think that the my biggest anti-aging has actually been like um, truly getting out of this pattern. Like yeah. I was exhausted all the time. I was so unhappy. I was literally creating more stress, getting hits of it. And now I'm like, you know, things come and I'm like, cool, that's fine. I mean, I'm still in the dance of life. I can still navigate it. I'm not passive to it, but it just doesn't, like, I don't need, I don't need it anymore. And it's such a relief.
1: Hmm. That is, it really, I mean, that is freedom right there. That is
0: absolute freedom.
1: Your circumstances do not dictate and control your emotions. Hmm. Then You know, your day to day is going to look a lot less stressful, and your body is not going to take the beating and abuse that it probably would if you allowed all of the crazy circumstances around you to control your emotional state. So,
0: exactly. Exactly.
1: So good. Well, guys, thank you for joining us on this episode. Make sure you check out Dr. Scott Lyons and all the areas that he just mentioned. I hope you love this episode. We always love hearing from you. So, shoot us a DM over at the Health Institute, or you can. Hit me up on my social or Dr. Motley, whatever it is. Guys, we love to hear your questions. This podcast is here to serve you. So thanks for joining us today. Share it with a friend if it has helped you in any way. And we will see you on the next episode. Hey, Dr. Axe here. I want to say thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like and subscribe the show so you don't miss a thing. Also, if you're in search of more natural health content, you can follow us at Health Institute on Instagram or subscribe to our newsletter using the
0: link in the show notes below. Hey, thanks a lot and have a blessed week.